If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. Hey everybody, welcome back. This is another edition of In Game Live right here on the Sports Grid Network. I'm Dane, he's Jared, and here's what we do. If you haven't been watching us over the course of the last few weeks, we are touring you around the sports world, everything you need to know, but... We are trying to get you paid while we are doing it. I know that you guys are sheltered in place. We're giving you our very own stimulus package. So welcome back from yesterday, where hopefully you picked some of those guys for UFC Fight Night. Hopefully you got paid on that. But, you know, Jared, when I think about it, the main story right now is the return to sports. And we have been talking about the return to sports over the course of the last few weeks. But we're starting to get more details, right? As I've said, the devil is in the details. Mm. And now the question is, is Major League Baseball going to have egg on their face, going to have a huge PR nightmare? Because what's supposed to be a celebration of the return is going to get bogged down in like a labor dispute of how we're going to you know, chop up millions of dollars. I think the uh, labor dispute has already begun, and I think we're getting to a certain point now where it's going to take some unwinding for both sides to really agree. Okay. This is not going to be, oh, you want this much? Sure, you'll get it. Right. Unfortunately, I think it's a complicated issue, whereas basketball, it doesn't seem so complicated. You have three, th- you have three parts here. You have mm-hmm. the actual logistics of playing and the details of playing which is step one. Every league has gotten to that point. I think every league has expressed and has given plans to the unions and the players about these are our plans. There's step one. Then step two, the doctors have to say it's okay. And the sure. doctors have to say you can get back to work. We've gotten to that point in a lot of places, and we've gotten to that point enough to where you can actually put a plan together that can conform with what the doctors and the scientists are saying. Then step three is the is money. The pl- Yeah, the players have to say, yeah, let's do it. We want to play. We're okay. In the NBA, you've got all three pretty much set up, and I think it's just a matter of time. Logistics, health, and money. In baseball, you've got logistics. You know what it's going to look like. You've got the ability of the health to kind of figure it out. The money's not there. The, 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 The step three, the final step, where the players and the owners agree on the final number is not even close. And isn't it a little ironic? Dane, we haven't heard any pushback from any other leagues, players' unions, about final money. We've only heard pushback from baseball. And you're crazy if you think there haven't been discussions on both sides in other sports. Yet baseball, which seems to be the case time in and time out, that's the league we get the pushback from when it comes to the union and the owners agreeing to a deal. No surprise. I mean, it it does make sense. And when you say no surprise, the one caveat I will say, Jared, is this is also the first one where we've heard as many details about 
these kind of points and these percentages also, right? Maybe, like as you articulate it, you know, the logistics, then the health, and then kind of the agreements, right, or the negotiations. We are starting to also hear, you know, the NBA players, they had their banana boat call, right? And we hear like 75% of the players. We're starting to hear about that in the NBA as well. I don't think we've heard anything about the money. I haven't heard anything about a, you know, a split of money in the NBA. We're hearing more around the logistics, right? three-game series, seven-game series. But you can best understand that this idea of if there's going to be another 18 regular season games or not, at some point, this is not only going to be about competitive balance. That conversation is going to be about money lost and how that pain is shared as well. I just think we haven't gone as far down the tracks in NBA or in other sports as we are hearing in Major League Baseball. But do you think we haven't gone down the tracks or we just haven't heard what the tracks look like? Both. I, I think there's a decent chance that there's more going on behind the scenes than we're privy to in a lot of these sports. Yeah. Yet baseball is the only one that we've heard the absolute pushback right out of the gate. This mm-hmm. is not going to work. Non-starter. Yeah. Whereas well, I feel like I feel like if there was disputes in the NBA, we would have heard about at least rumblings by now that listen, the players aren't on board with this. We've heard the opposite. The players have all come together and said we want to play. You haven't heard baseball play. Now, it's a different league, whereas there's not the leaders like there is in the NBA on the baseball side. Mike Trout's not a vocal leader like LeBron James is, who's basically the ringleader of the entire league. So, But I'm still – it's a very intriguing dynamic. You're really getting a glimpse behind the scenes in how the labor unions work in each sport, whereas basketball is probably run by the godfathers as the guys who are on that call. Baseball is more of a democratic system. And that's why I think you're not going to hear as much on the NBA, whereas the NBA big voices that say they want to play are probably going to drown out the ones that are hesitant. I think there's some of that, right, where any of the back and forth may more easily be kept quiet or swept under the rug. But I also think, you know, as we've as I've mentioned a bunch of times here, Jared, right at the beginning, it was what we're all in this together. Kumbaya. And then as we move further and further down the path, it's almost like a funnel, in my opinion, when you get to the top and the wide mouth of the funnel and the broad contours. Right. It's a little bit easier to be happy-go-lucky about it, right? So the idea, and for me, the NBA is like, we want to play. To me, that's still top-end, wide-mouth-of-the-funnel kind of talk, and we haven't gotten into the details just yet. I mean, think about it. Syria A, for example, out there in Europe, with a huge league, right? Uh, they are having this conversation. And Italy was they were hard. And they were having this exact conversation. And it came the same exact process, Jared, at the beginning. It was like, oh, my God, Ronaldo is going to take $10 million off his salary or whatever it was, right? And it seemed like the right thing to do, the nice gesture, right? Then three weeks later or a month later when they're starting to really figure it out, they're having the same thing, a back and forth about, oh, how much of a cut are the players going to take in their salary? I don't think it is germane to Major League Baseball or to this country. I think it's about the process. And because Major League Baseball was just the first to actually hear the details of one actual proposal that we're now they're just this phase of conversation or this phase of negotiation. We have not heard any kind of formal proposal from the NBA, which will then ultimately get picked apart the same way the Major League Baseball one is. Yes, I think it's a bad look, Jared, that we're out there and Blake Snell can say something and this is happening in the media and it's something that we're talking about. But I do think every sport is going to have to figure these details out. The UFC wasn't able to, you know, fight in California and then that was in the news. They were able to figure it out and we learned about it. I just think we're not at the phase of the NBA or, quite frankly, the NHL. And that's why I think you said yesterday, you know, they're going to get it done in a very, like, workmanlike, professional way. Well, that's easy to say because we're early in the process right i think the nhl is gonna have to go through this on some level okay mls is gonna have to go through this on some level right maybe players won't like playing three games in a week for the mls you know but i think we are gonna hear about it it's just that baseball is first and we've talked about this jared the pr of it all right you didn't want to be last to shut down like the big east let's say and you didn't want to be first to go forward now i think that the end major league baseball is just first when it gets to this devil in the details part. I think it's a tough dichotomy because on one hand, you have the public's desire to get things back. And that creates pressure. And it does create pressure. And on the other hand, you have the safety issue, which I totally understand. If Blake Snell really truly believes 
that by going back to baseball, he's putting itself at greater risk than the average American walking down the street going to the grocery store to get this disease, then Blake should take it into his own power to say, I don't want to play. Right. But from what we're seeing, I live in the center of this. You live in the center of this. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you're risking your life when you go buy groceries today? No. I, I don't. I don't. I and, don't, and these players are going to be put in bubbles. They're going to be wrapped in home. bubble wrap. They're, yes, of course. But that means that you're saying, all right, until there's a vaccine, which right. could take years, I, I'm just going to hide under my bed. If that's the way that you want to live your life, then you have that right. But you know what? The world will pass you by. Your hopes and dreams, your future, your, your, your income, it will all pass you by. And there were people after 9-11 who refused to fly. And I respect those decisions. But you know what? You're not going to go very far. That's just, you know, you you either choose to live in fear or you choose to move on with your life. In my mind, the American spirit is a fight through. We're going to get through this. We're going to push through. You don't let the terrorists win. In this case, it's the virus. You don't let the virus win. And yes, I'm not saying you're reckless with your decisions. No, of but course. Major League Baseball, you have to trust the process of them putting precautions in place, scrubbing down the planes, isolating hotel rooms, making mm -hmm. sure everybody's safe. The other alternative is just to shrivel up and die underneath your bed for the next year that, th that they figure out a vaccine. That's not an option for me. Maybe for other people it is. For me, I want to get back to my life at some point. And to these players, their lives are playing. So if Blake Snell wants to say, I'm sorry, the money's not there for me to risk my life, he has that right to do so. But there's 100 players behind him that would love to take his spot and that have no issues in putting themselves at minimal risk in going back into the world to start their lives again. No, it's absolutely something we are going to have to monitor because you're right, Jared. Every individual gets to make their own individual decision, right? And we've talked about it before. If you're a second-year player that's 23 and ready to go, maybe you're willing to take on more risk than absolutely. the 36-year-old veteran that's got two kids or that has a parent at home with a compromised immune system that's going through chemo. Who the hell knows, right? And everyone has valid things with their own personal context, but it's definitely something we will be watching. All I'm saying is other sports are going to have to go through these details as well. So while it looks like Major League Baseball has a back and forth going on that's bad PR, just let's see what happens down the road and if all of a sudden harmony and labor peace is happening in every other sport. One thing also that I did see about this proposal that I found interesting, you laid it out as logistics, the health, and of course the money. On the health side, did you see this? Part of the plan, it looks like, for Major League Baseball, you know, because we've been talking about what happens if and when someone does test positive, right? That we're not going to have to shut down, whether it's the entire NBA playoffs or the entire Major League Baseball season. One of the things I'm seeing here, Jared, that I'd like to get your take, I know we only got a minute or two, we can continue the conversation into the other side of the break, but it looks like if you test positive, it used to be that, you know, you had a 14-day quarantine. What I'm seeing Manfred saying is that you will now be tested, you know, frequently. And once you test negative twice in 24 hours, you're cleared and you're good to go. I find this very interesting. And I wonder if it's different in baseball when you're in your home market as opposed to in the quarantine Truman Show bubble that I keep referencing in the NBA. What do you think about evolving health you know, policies, concerns, and how everyone's going to experience this virus differently regionally across the country. I have to trust that Rob Manford is hearing things from the scientists and the doctors that is leading him to that conclusion. I personally cannot offer any insight on it because I don't know if that is something that is, is, a, is a good option or not. I have to trust, and that's at some point we have to just trust our leaders to make the right decisions. And if we don't trust our leaders, then we have another issue. But I, I trust Rob Manfred to get the right information from the right doctors that say sometimes the testing can be a little bit lagged in terms of mm -hmm. when you test positive and where the virus actually is in your system. So when it comes to testing, if you test positive, you need to test negative, what, twice in 24 hours? And then you yep. come back. I trust the doctors and I trust Rob Manfred to get that information from the doctors. All right, fair enough. As Jared says, logistics, money, and health. We've also looked at some other elements of this proposal that affect what happens on the field. We're going to dig into that and how you can maybe make some money off of it. We're talking about the universal DH when we come back. It's in-game live right here on SportsGrid. Come on back. Dane and Jared will be here. Hopefully you will be too.
SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to In Game Live right here on Sports Grid. I'm Dane. He's Jared. And we're talking a lot about what um, what maybe the details of returning are. And so, you know, we're going to figure that out. At least Manfred does say that he is confident that these two sides will be able to work it out. Do you share his optimism? I mean, I know we're talking about this back and forth right now, but it almost feels like there's too much at stake, right, Jared? It feels like they've got to figure something out given the uh, context here, right? I, I do, and I, I did watch that CNN interview with Manfred, and and I think it was Anderson Cooper and and Dr. Sanjay Gupta. They've they've done a good job of trying to keep us informed, and all of the rhetoric we were hearing from Rob was positive. You mentioned about the quarantine being yeah. only the you know the 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 two negative tests and not the 14 day quarantine. I think that is a huge thing, and here's why that's huge. It's not huge for baseball. It's a really huge for football. If you're telling me that an NFL player can test positive. If you're telling me Patrick Mahomes can test positive on Monday and by Sunday play in an NFL game, I, I think that's a good that, – that, that's, that's a mm-hmm. step in the right direction. And baseball, obviously, they play every day. So if a player tests positive, likely he'll miss a few games. But I've seen players come up lame with random injuries, concussions, and have to miss a few days. So it's just part of the world. I, 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 and again, I want to take it – I want to tie it all back to Blake Snell because I think what Blake Snell did – was he set the baseline of response in this country. And a lot of players came out and said they're happy that Blake said it, but they're also happy that it wasn't them that said it. Because let's be real, Blake kind of looks like a donkey. He's like, oh, it's all about the money. You're not paying me. And now what we're seeing on the back end is that there's a lot of precautions that are being put in place to prevent these players from getting this disease. Of course, what do you think? The owners want their prized players to get sick? Right. No way. There's going to be a ton of precautions put in place so they get much more testing 
and protection than the average American does. Just like they get more money and more salary and more benefits than the average American does. The athletes will get the better end of this. Just like President Trump gets tested probably every day. These athletes are going to get tested multiple days. I haven't gotten tested yet. I've been running around New York City for the last two months. I have no idea if I can get if I've had this disease. Now I can go and wait in line for two hours uh, at, at a city MD and find out if I have the antibodies. But I'm not eligible to get a test. I'm not. I, I'm not sick. So whereas players who are not sick will be tested all the time, they will get protections that the average Americans don't. That's why I think overall baseball players should be a little more receptive to their league coming back and not pushing it away right out of the gates, whereas other leagues have been more receptive. You know, it's interesting, um, this idea of testing, and you make a point, you know, about your access to testing, let's say, here in New York City. You know, I remember hearing, it was the NBA, I believe, major, maybe Major League Baseball as well, talking about that they would not return to play until or unless the way they were testing their players does not compromise or take testing capacity away from the general public, you know, it or feels people like we're past who that. need it, it right? Does so feel I like think, we're past that. right, and I'm saying so, that, you know, this idea of balancing uh, the need for these, you know, millionaire athletes versus us as the public is also very interesting. You mentioned the idea also about what Snell came out and said and now what he represents. Jared, it's always the same thing. Going out there and making that stance and being first, you know, now then you are the person who gets the slings and arrows. Just uh, yesterday, I believe it was Bryce Harper who even said, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, he ain't wrong, bro. He's not lying. You know, and he came out and said that. So, you know, yes, a lot of people do feel this way. I heard Mike Trout weeks ago, you know, talking about this, but not necessarily from the perspective of money, but from the perspective of he's a new father. Right. Uh, he just had his firstborn child and, and was saying like, hey, he wouldn't want to necessarily be quarantined with the rest of the players or in any way away from his family, it, given the context of the pandemic and given where he is at the stage of his life. So I think you're right that Snell, the way he led with it and kind of, you know, knee jerk reacted about the money part that is now out there. But it is, you know, interesting. And another thing I will say, you then drew this to football, the kind of quick turnaround with the testing. One of the things I've been saying this entire time is that the NFL has the luxury, not only for being in the offseason right now, but being able to follow the blueprint of yeah. other leagues, right? So what you're just saying, right, maybe by the time we hit mid-September, all of these details, what I say, are going to be ironed out already, right? Because Major League Baseball is going to have to figure it out. The NBA is going to have to figure it out. By the time we hit August, September, October, the NFL is going to know what best practice is, is going to know what the public opinion is, and we be able to just kind of fall in line. Again, another example of why just not being first in the PR machine of it all will be a benefit. But when we go to the field, Jared, one of the things we know that's going to impact X's and O's and wins and losses and overs and unders is the idea. First, we talked about this realignment of divisions, right? And we went deep in a previous episode figuring out who potentially benefits from, you know, only playing in the East or only playing in the West or only playing that opposite division. And we did a little bit of thinking on that. But another big piece of this plan that purists need to have earmuffs about is the idea of the universal DH. And Jared, I asked you yesterday about maybe some teams that benefits in the National League and maybe some teams that that hurts in the National League, including things like strikeout props. We talked about overall over-unders, but as we drill a little bit deeper down in this funnel, who are some of the teams, in your opinion, let's start with a teams that it helps, right? Maybe who is a team in the National League that you think having a universal DH helps? And also, like, you know, how are teams constructed? Why might this be such a big deal for some National League teams? Well, Dane, the, the team that this helps is, in my opinion, blatantly, blatantly obvious, and it's the Los Angeles Dodgers. It's the team that had the highest OPS in Major League Baseball in the National League last season at 810. And they have just a litany of options at this position. You could go Bellinger. You could go Peterson. You could go Muncie. Uh, they've got some other younger players. Sure. You know about Chris Taylor. Uh, you know about Beattie and obviously Mookie Betts. I don't think Betts will get as much run at DH unless it's like a half day off. So to me, the team that this helps – the Dodgers are in the mix. I think the Mets are in the mix, too. You can basically treat Yoana Cespedes as the full-time DH. And I think that's an important thing to note because, Dan, I think there's a dichotomy here in the strategy. Whereas yeah. the Dodgers might approach this in one way. They might use it, as you said, a parking spot, the rotating DH. Who are we giving a half day off to? Whereas the Mets might just say, hey, Yoannis, you're our guy. 
We also talked about some other teams, maybe the Brewers. They just signed Justin yeah, we'll talk about That it. could be a guy. Ryan Braun could be a guy. I, I think there are some teams that this certainly helps. And I think that there's just teams that this doesn't help. And I think on the other side of that, teams that are younger, teams that have defined positions, and teams that have decent hitting pitchers. There's a couple of decent hitting pitchers in the NL as well that might be a little bit upset that they're not going to be taking their cuts. And that is a monster advantage. When the Mets have Jacob DeGrom pitching, you also have Jacob DeGrom hitting. He's not a bad hitter. He's like a career 200 hitter. So, you know, over time, I think the ERAs will go up a little bit in the National League. I think the strikeouts and the home runs will also go up in the National League. And I think in general, you're going to see more teams kind of utilizing their rosters to try to fit this. But the question is, what is the strategy? Is yep. it a strategy that you're going to use the DH every day with one guy? Or are you going to give every guy a half a day off in certain spots? I'm not going to know that until we start the season. My guess is the Mets take Yoannis and tell him he's the guy and that the Dodgers go with the rotating approach, if I had to guess. Yeah, we'll see. I think you accurately articulate kind of the ways managers can approach this, right? You could either have it be one guy who, um, you know, isn't great in the field, and now you have the luxury of just having him be the quote-unquote professional hitter, and I think there are some guys, individual players that we could discuss that may fit that. The other way is, like you said, given the kind of half-day off you know, to a rotation of guys, whether that's getting that catcher the half day off, whether you have four outfielders that you want to get in rotation. You mentioned the Dodgers with A.J. Pollock, Bellinger. Of course, they bring in Mookie Betts, so they may be able to keep everybody fresh. The one thing I'd push back on when it comes to the uh, Dodgers as the obvious answer, you led by starting to say about how, you know, their OPS was the highest in the National League. So the thing is, they're already the dynamic offense, right? And so what I think about here, what I'm looking for really is the value add, okay? So, so the Dodgers already have eight good offensive players yeah. in that lineup, right? Now they're getting a ninth. Cool. But there's going to be another team, right, that have the, that ninth guy that they have is going to be a bigger value add to their overall offense than what the Dodgers can muster to their already strong offense. You talk about that rotation aspect. Cool. Let's call it Max Muncy. Now, he's great and an addition, but how much extra is he for the Dodgers offense as opposed to, I mentioned the Brewers, right? They were going to struggle to find Ryan Braun at bats Anyway, this year, remember, they bring in, you said, Justin Smoke. They have Avasail Garcia. These are other guys. Now, Braun maybe becomes that guy who was on the cutting line, who was on that fringe, and now he's in the lineup. I think on balance, that's like a greater value add for the Brewers than maybe whoever that person would be for the Dodgers. If you follow my reasoning, I really think it's about the value add of that ninth bat as opposed to, you know, just making the offense cyclical like it is for the Dodgers. But there are some players that we're talking about. You know, the Mets have this with not only Yoannis Cespedes, but Dom Smith as well, J.D. Davis. These are the kinds of guys who came in um, and play either these corner infielder, corner outfielder spots that may not be defensive stalwarts shall yeah. we say, but you put them in a lineup, I think, of Kyle Schwarber for the Cubs. I mean, for years, Jared, they've, the Cubs have been considering trading Schwarber to an American League team because we all know his value is better as a DH. You know, another yeah. team I think about real quick is the Washington Nationals. You know, they are a team to me that have aging veterans, whether it's Zimmerman at, you know, on the corner or a guy like Howie Kendrick. Right, who they find ways to get him in the lineup, right? You know, at second base, at outfield, the, the quote unquote professional hitter. And he may be one of those guys that, you know, you just put him there in the DH spot. So I think you're right. There are some teams where it helps offensively and some teams that don't have the horses to have this make a meaningful impact. I want to talk about the Braves too, because I think okay. the Braves are a very fascinating team in this. Yeah. But I, I think the Braves have a guy in Nick Marcakis, and they also have a guy in Adam Duvall who are right? perfect, perfect. You're talking about a platoon for DH, lefty, righty. And those guys have positions, but they're aging, and Duvall plays first, but he probably is better as a DH. Marcakis, I know, his bat is way ahead of his glove at this stage of his career. I mean, he's, you know, he's a great right fielder back in the mm -hmm. day, but he's certainly not the same kind of outfielder uh, that, that that he was, and he's definitely not the same kind of outfielder uh, that Marcelo Zuna or Robert Acuna is. So right. I think what it does, it, it makes these teams DH. It, it, it's kind of an interesting dynamic, and we'll get to it more on the other side, but I think it makes certain teams better. Mm -hmm. And it makes certain teams even – I think it makes all the teams better offensively, but it makes some – it it's about relative to others. If it makes some better than True. others, then it doesn't help them on balance, right? Because everyone is getting this boost on some level, yeah. right? So if you get a bigger boost 
than other teams, then you on balance are coming out ahead. Here's what we're going to do, Jared. Let's dive on into some of the other teams that we think this could impact. And if we like it or if on balance, you know, it helps uh, some teams more than others. We've been talking about them. We'll go through some other teams in the National League because I think there's some other teams that are, quite frankly, up and coming where this could also help and some teams that it doesn't help as much, okay? So that's what we'll do. I think we'll continue this conversation, how the Major League Baseball plan impacts what we see on the field and how to make some money. What teams are we more confident in because of this universal DH in the National League? Dane and Jared, we're going to continue talking about this to give you the Edge on SportsGrid. It's in-game live. Come on right back after this. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up as well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James! LeBron James! And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, everybody, to In Game Live right here on Sports Grid. Dane and Jared, we are back, and we're continuing a very interesting conversation about the impact of the designated hitter potentially in the National League this year. It looks like that is part of the proposal from Major League Baseball and a part that I think is going to be adopted, right? Especially when you consider this, Jared. I mean, how many times have you seen a pitcher get injured while hitting or running the bases or things of that nature, and especially now when we're going to have this kind of spring training 2.0 and the stops and starts of the season, much like this show, you can't really handle it, right? So you have to be able to kind of minimize that risk. I think it's smart that this is the year they experiment with it 
because there's so many different contexts going on. And I'd sign up for it. I know the purists hate it, but I'd sign up for it just because I don't want to risk injury in this weird context to one of my aces. I agree. We saw the Ching Ming Wong situation play out, which yes. is not. That's the we, one yeah, that comes that, to mind for I me. I feel like that's the one. Coming around yeah, third, man. Exactly. <laughs> I feel like that's the one that always comes to mind with all these guys. And I think it gets to a certain right. point where we just have to say this, these, this is the situation that we're in. And, and the pitchers, I, I think it's going to be a boon, a boom for baseball having the universal okay. DH. I, I do, I yeah, do believe that. Ball, and right? I think in general, I think in general, we're going to see maybe a little bit of an uptick in ERA, maybe a little bit of an uptick in, in I would say, strikeouts too. And that's a, another fascinating conversation because you know how much I love the strikeout props. And I do think yeah, those we'll will obviously be effective. Yeah, so so let's go into it. We talked about some of the teams where we may have a knee-jerk reaction where we know there's like a, an American-style DH guy on those teams, right? We talked about guys like Yoannis Cespedes. We talked about Kyle Schwarber, Ryan Braun. We talked about that the Dodgers offense, you know, have a number of candidates that they could maybe even rotate, that they have the luxury to do so, right? And I think that's very interesting, you know. Let's look at the curious case of the Cincinnati Reds, though, Jared. You know, they are a team that they were getting some buzz before the pandemic hit when it was spring training, right? And I actually think they are a team that have a number of interesting candidates for this role. They bring in Nick Castellanos, right, in the offseason, that kind of corner infielder, corner outfielder. He can do the job. Remember, they also had Eugenio Suarez, their third baseman. He was banged up by injury, but a power hitter. Maybe he could benefit. Joey Votto is another kind of guy that corner infielder getting older right maybe he can benefit from the half day off but what about Orestes Aquino this is a guy who came in in the second half of last year Jared if you remember and put up absolutely ridiculous power numbers the Reds could benefit from putting a guy like that into their DH spot they're also in a, uh, a ballpark that I call the great American small park Jared <laughs> and so I wonder if they are a team already on the rise that do have the personnel and, you know, they're in a home run hitter ballpark anyway. So now they get another bite at the apple to go yaya. Aristides Aquino becoming he, he's gonna go. be one of my favorite players. Now, you know, he is a perfect example. We talk about Yoana Cespedes. This guy's like a mini Cespedes, I would say. I mean, yeah. I, I think he, you know, 19 homers in 205 at bats. That's about 15 plate appearances per home run. Pretty good. That's like pulse-like. Yeah. You extrapolate that over, you know, uh, a full season, uh, over 600 at-bats. We're talking big power numbers Big-time power numbers for Aquino. So, a guy like him, and Yasiel Puig still doesn't have a job. Sure. So, where does Puig fit into all this? And in general, I think a guy like Puig is going to get a job because of this. I think a guy like Aquino is going to get more at-bats because of this. And I think the fascinating conversation to me, Dane, the fascinating conversation to me, where this fits into the handicapping. How do we right. handicap these games differently? And some would argue the NL pitchers should strike out less batters. I don't know if that's true. And if you break down the numbers, here's why. So, you, you know, usually the argument would be, all right, National League hitters, National right. League pitchers, they get to face the pitcher. You're seeing that ninth spot in the exactly. lineup instead of his DH, right? But they go to the bullpen by the sixth inning, and you're seeing the pinch hitter for them usually anyway. Two at-bats. So correct me if I'm wrong. We're talking about two at-bats, right? one of the at-bats can be a sacrifice, and most often than not Absolutely. it is. Now, I know you're saying that so, I've seen strikeouts on bunts before, which is a gift for right. any strikeout prop. But in general, about half the time, it's a sacrifice out, and these pitchers are pretty good at bunting. So for the most part, those sacrifices, I'll handicap that as a positive. But that's that one at-bat, then it's the other one. It's basically one, one at-bat. It's more like would have been a strikeout if it's that, you know, pitcher hitting 120, and now it's going to be maybe a quote-unquote professional hitter like Ryan Braun or Howie Kendrick. That's the at-bat we're talking about, right? That's the difference of facing the opposing pitcher from now facing one of these guys like Aquino or Schwarber or Ian Desmond or whoever the team may employ in this role. Yeah, and that's the, that's the whole handicap. The entire handicap is saying, so let's say, for instance, a pitcher strikeout prop is six and a half. And let's say now it's going to go down to six because that National League pitcher doesn't have the, the, the automatic strikeout in the lineup. So as a handicapper, you have to ask yourself, is that difference really a half? Or is it really more like a third where the strikeout rate's about 33%? So, yeah, yeah, so yeah. it could be really, all right, you need to move that down to just six and a third 
but six, you're getting the boon of the win, and you're getting the push at six, and you're getting the seven as the win. So theoretically, you could be seeing two odds boosts. The odds boost from six and a half to six, you're getting that, and you're also getting the push at six. And you know if you bet these strikeout props as many as me, it comes down to one or two at the end. Usually yeah. you don't see like a strikeout prop at six and you get like nine. Usually that's rare. So if you mm -hmm. take me from six and a half to six, I get the not only the extra half protection there, but I'm also capping it still at over six. So I, I think that's a fascinating handicap to me. And someone who really looks at these strikeout props, Dan, I'm going to be taking even a harder look at them. because I, I And the hard part is there's not really a number crunch. Usually I get 162 games and I can adjust. I'm not going right. to get that. It's going to be so interesting to see how teams and how managers play this. I look at the Philadelphia Phillies, for example. They may park Jay Bruce in that spot. And you want to know the truth? I don't know if that helps, okay? Because I'm not high on Jay Bruce at this stage of his career for being anything more than this kind of automatic strikeout as well. I actually think, you know, the way it may help the Phillies, obviously Bruce is better than a pitcher hitting, but I don't think he's better than the value add that some of these other teams will put out there. I think about some other weak offenses in the National League you know, Jared, we're talking about, say, like the Miami Marlins, teams like the Pittsburgh Pirates, offenses like the San Francisco Giants. I don't think they have, you know, the horses to make this be a value add. So it's going to be very interesting. You talk about the strikeout market, you know, and the props on a game by game. What about totals? in the National League now, or when it's, you know, these teams that will employ the DH? You mentioned the idea that the pitcher is um, – almost close to an automatic out or as close as you can be in professional baseball, right? So what about these games that now have National League teams both have lineups with the DH? Do you think there could be more rallies, more cyclical, you know, lineups and thus more runs? Are you thinking about overs on National League teams if they're hanging the same kind of totals that they hang I, last I year? I want to see what the totals are. I, I want to see exactly what the situation is. Yeah, I want to see exactly what the situation is going to be. I, I don't I, I'm not going to lie. I don't think I'm going to be betting more overs because of this. I, I don't I okay. don't think so. Because I don't think in the, Without the pitcher as the rally killer? I don't killer. think at the end of the day it matters as much. I really don't. Okay. I really don't. And my handicap is this. If the pitcher is in the middle of the rally, he's bunting. Taking a bunt. He's bunting. And if anything, that improves your That's chances. It, it improves your chances of getting more runs. Because it takes out the double play in a lot of spots. And it improves yeah. your chance of taking a run. Now, in a two-out spot. Not as good as an opposite field double, though. I'll tell you that. Obviously. <laughs> and that, that is part of the handicap. But it's really hard sure. to handicap a game. And, again, what did we say? Mm -hmm. You get two at-bats per pitcher per game. You get yeah. two at-bats per pitcher well, per game. Sure. One of them is nine times out of ten. Of those two at-bats, one of them is a sacrifice. So you're, if there's a runner, you're really yeah. handicapping one at-bat per game. To me, it's hard – to move a total based on one AB per game. It's really hard. And so if they do end up moving, I, I might I, I might have to switch it back, and I might actually have to, to, to go under more so often than not. Because, again, you're talking about 80 games of sample size here, and 80 games times 30 teams, you're talking about 2,400 games of sample size here. And yeah. it's, it, it's, it's really hard to make big adjustments like that based off of one at-bat per game. I'm curious what the numbers look like. I don't think they're going to adjust too much. If they do, the under might be the play, as crazy as that sounds. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see, right? There's going to be some impact because this is different than we've ever seen before. The question is, is there any way for us to get ahead of it, read the tea leaves, and get an edge on the books? That's what we do here at SportsGrid, try to give you an edge as we go fishing for value. But also, Jared, you know, I think about this in the fantasy sports world as well. Not only strikeouts with prop bets, you know, because – if you think about it logically, right, over the course of the last three years, American League pitchers have been facing this exact same context, yep. right? National League pitchers, this is going to be a big difference from previous years. So I wonder, do I downgrade some of my National League starting pitchers? Or are there some American League pitchers that I want to push up slightly because they've been facing the DH already and it's like the control group, as it were. You know, if we do think we're going to see some more runs, you said earlier that you think ERA will go up just a touch. Well, that's going to be more in the National League because it's the different for the National League context. So I wonder about some of those players. The other thing I think about, there are these players in the National League, right? Whether I said, I mentioned, you know, with the Rockies, Ian Desmond and Daniel Murphy. I talk about a guy like Howie Kendrick or Kyle Schwarber or, J or Ian Happ with the Cubs, right? 
most teams have one of these players. Think about Okino, for example. Jared, now with the option of the DH, right? There's they are more valuable in fantasy. These are guys, you know, some of these names that may have only been playing three days a week. Okay, but now because they have this rotation which enables them to play more or they can still get production and offensive at-bats and fantasy in the DH spot, these kinds of guys, I think, are the big winners when you look at fantasy. These are players that would not have been out there, would have been part-time players, but now because of their consistent at-bats could be fantasy yeah, assets. Yeah, and, and, and we mentioned Puig. I, I think Puig's a fascinating right. handicap here. He doesn't have a job. Cespedes, Schwarber, Braun, Murphy. You know, it's funny. People were talking about people were talking about Cespedes perhaps career over, and and oh, this will lengthen careers. Think about it. That's what players are going to like. They transition to become a DH. That's why I think they become a DH because the players and this is going to happen in the National League. Absolutely, and I've always said, you know, when it was one league, the NL had no pitchers hit, and and the American League had the DH. I told you the only way it would ever happen is with a universal DH. They were never going to eliminate the DH. Why? Because the union wouldn't accept losing 15 jobs for their members. That's what this is. So it's 15 jobs being added. We're expanding the rosters. A lot of things to look at when we see what the Major League Baseball season will look like here in 2020. Absolutely huge. I think that's the key to all this. And I I, I do believe, I honestly do believe, and we got about 30 seconds left, I honestly do believe that we are going to see a shift in this long term. I, I really do, Dane. Mm. I really think this is the end of pitchers batting, and, and I don't know if you're ever going to see it again. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I'll say this: as leagues respond, right, they're going to find things that they want to keep, find things that were experimental. Remember, the NFL is not going back to the replay on pass interference, right? So this is the time to uh, fidget and be creative. And uh, as always, we will be creative in finding ways to get you money. We uh, do that thing where we teach you how to fish. It's in game live. We're going to do it, Dane and Jag. When we come back. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. 
players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to In Game Live right here on Sports Grid. I'm Dane, he's Jared, and we are finding value. We are finding the edge. If you want the edge, stay right here on Sports Grid for all the great programming because that's what we do here. And, you know, Jared, we are trying to look at the impact of the universal DH. And one of the things you said is intriguing to me. You were like, hey, it may just be, you know, uh, only a snippet of one at bat, right? And over the course of time. But, you know, sports investors look for value. Like every penny counts, every 10 cents count, you know, every percentage point counts. And so I wanted to take a, a minute here and talk about what we use all the time as implied odds, right? And explain that to people. All right. And here's the catch, Jared. I used to be a middle school math teacher. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know that. So I know fractions and percentages. Oh, yeah, definitely. So here's what I'm going to say at the very basic part because I used to teach kids fractions. Okay. Fractions. Start with the easy one. Start with the easy one. Even money, one to one odds. Okay, what that means is, one time you're gonna win, one time you're gonna lose. You take that one to one, and you realize that that means one positive trial out of two, one out of two is fifty percent. So if something is even odds, that means the book, the line, is dictating that that's a fifty percent chance of happening. You think it's better than that? Go ahead and bet it. But here's the thing, Jared. The same process remains true. Let's go to three to one, for example, okay? For three to one, that what they're saying, all this means is that in four chances, it's gonna happen once, it ain't gonna happen three times. So I use three to one because the denominator is four. It should be easy for people to figure out, right? What that means is if it's three to one, that's something that they think is going to happen with a 25% chance of happening. If you think the chance of it happening is 30 40%, you have value. By the same token, Jared, another easy one is 2 to 1, right? That's out of 3. 1 out of 3 is a 33% chance. You with me so far, Jared? Yeah, I'm with you. I'm right, with you. 4 to You're 1 good is math 1 teacher. out of 5, right? 4 to 1, 5 parts total. Divide 100 by 5, that's 20, 20%. If something, if you got a horse, Jared, that's going off at 4 to 1, and you think that there's a 25% chance that horse is going to win, bang, there's your daylight, there's your value, place that bet. Make sense? Makes total sense. And again, I use, I go by baseline. So to me, minus 110 is the baseline. What is minus 110 telling us? Minus 110 is saying you have a 52 and a three port, something like that. 52 and change. That's the juice, right? That's why they say if you're a 53% gambler, winning percentage, you're going to be a winning gambler long term. That's the magic number. About 52.5%. Let's round up to 53. Minus 110. That's what that indicates. And the odds are important. I understand it's confusing. I have friends, a lot of female friends. They ask me what the gambling is. What is what do the numbers mean next to the spread? Exactly. What do the numbers mean next to the spread? When I try to explain that to them, that's where I lose them. Because then they're okay. like, wait a minute, I have to worry about this team winning by this many points, and I have to give up money. And it, and it, it, it sometimes the odds is where I lose people. So here you break it down in an easy way. Right. If you're willing to lay juice on something, if you're willing to go minus 110, and you don't think a coin flip, you have better odds than a coin flip, then you shouldn't bet it. Then you don't have any then you don't have any edge. If you think right. something is a coin flip, you should not be laying money on. That's why I laugh at the people that lay two or three cents every year right. when bet on the coin flip for the Super Bowl. That makes no sense. How why are you betting on something that has zero implied odds? Like, you know. It is a literal coin flip. You shouldn't be laying yep. juice on it. So, right, if it's plus 100, then you got the right number exactly. on it. And that's right? why I but use that, that as the baseline. Use that as your of baseline. Of course, and that, 
And that minus 110, you mentioned it, if it's like 52.3%, that 2.3%, that is the juice. That is the rake. That's how the casinos, that's how Vegas continues to build buildings in the desert off of our bets, okay? And what I'm talking about here, you know, when I say 2 to 1, that's plus 200. When I say three to one, that's plus 300, okay? And if you look at horse odds, right, you may get five to two. Guys, that's the same exact thing as something going off at plus 250 in the sports book world. Now, here's what I think is very interesting about implied odds, Jared. And again, right now, I'm talking about, um, you know, plus money, right? Three to one. So those are percentages that are going to be 50% and below. When you're talking about minus money, Jared, it's things that are going to happen 50% and above. But get with this. With my same algebraic formula, right? 1 to 1 is 50%. 2 to 1 is 33%. 3 to 1 is 25%. 4 to 1 is 20%. You know what's so interesting to me? That the chunks of like what it is as far as win probability, you go down from 50 to 33 to 25 to 20 pretty quickly. But when you get to those higher numbers, Jared, it doesn't really move the needle. Think about it this way for everybody, the context, right? If you're something that's 19 to 1, Jared, right? That's 20 trials. Each one represents 5%. So something that's 19 to 1 is a 5% chance of happening. You with me, Jared? Cool. So, but think about this. Something that's 24 to 1, when you got 25 trials, each one represents 4%. So, Jared, going from 19 to 1 to something that's 24 to 1 only changes the percent of the occurrence happening by 1% yep. going down from 5 to 4. So when you start playing with things that are at 30 to 1, 40 to 1, 50 to 1, the idea of the implied odds becomes, you know, we're splitting hairs here as opposed to say the difference from 3 to 1 and to 4 to 1. And the markets dictate that. So the implied odds, the, that's the biggest misconception with implied odds. That's why we're talking about it here as we... Exactly. People think implied odds of something means that this is what the books think is going to happen. That's not the case. If the books are hanging a minus 200, which you already explained the implied odds of what they are, well, the books don't necessarily think that this particular event only has a 66.67% chance of occurring. The books are saying that the market at this stage is even action on both sides if we set the number at this price with that proposition, with that proposition. Right. so just because the books are saying that this is minus 200 if they give you a minus 200 that doesn't mean that the books believe that the implied odds they're of that saying that at 33 percent chance when we hang that as the probability this is going to happen it's generating exactly even the books are trying to generate even exposure on both sides and that's the part of this right. that is hard is hard to fathom so they can take that extra 2.3 percent and build it's the casino not exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's not that they think that the implied odds of that happening is what they believe right. they are setting right. the market which is why you see books at it happens all the time. It's probably the most common thing. Different numbers of different books. That's why we always tell you to shop lines because there are a lot of discrepancies in the marketplace where one book might be really different on a certain number, but not because they believe it differently than others because the market's telling them that. Now, to me, there's a caveat with the NFL. The NFL, especially with the Sharp Vegas books, to me, the NFL is a totally different can of worms. The NFL, the books will actually compete against each other to set the right number. And based on the market's response, the books either win or lose on certain numbers. And that's why, and and the reason for that is the volume of the handle with those games are so high that the books can afford a little bit of leeway on both sides because they know all they have to do is move the line and they'll get action on the other side. And so the books at the end of the day, the higher handle games, most of the time the books will win. Even if they lose, they'll still win because they'll be able to tweak the odds enough to get back on the other side late. So let's say a game is two and a half at one book and it's three on the other. And the book that's two and a half is just getting pounded with favorite money. Well, guess what they'll do? They'll jack up the odds on one side. So it almost forces you to come back on the other side. So it's an interesting caveat there. It really is. And it's all about the arbitrage. It's all about playing the market on both sides. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think you said a couple of very interesting things there. I want to dig into one of them in a second. But also remember, it's just the flip side there for the favorites. Okay? So when we're talking about an underdog, that's a three-to-one underdog, right? That means that it's a 25% chance, the proposition, right? The proposition of the 25% chance, that's what's generating the even money. That's with plus 300 or three to one. If you are minus 300, it's the inverse. It's still the same kind of math, right? But it's just then that's the time that it will happen. And so that same three to one at plus 300 as 25% minus 300 is the exact inverse of that is 75%. But one of the things that you just said that I think we need to kind of remind everybody of is that they're not predicting what's going to happen. They are moving the needle to go ahead and generate even money. And that gets to my shop around point, Jared. We talk about it all the time. You have to get to different books. Consider college football, for example, okay? I'll be willing to bet, you know, that there's more money coming in on, oh, I don't know, the Georgia Bulldogs in the state of Georgia than there is in the state of Oregon. So for example, a book in Georgia would have to change those odds and change the proposition to get even money. Okay, so you may get better lines and as more and more states legalize sports investing and in essence are creating different markets based on their money, right? That's part of why you can shop around. And I think college football is a very um, interesting sport to use that with, Jared, because it's so regional anyway, and regionalism reigns supreme. So you may be able to get dramatically different numbers. We even talked about, like, say, Gonzaga going into March Madness and what their money may be like or what their lines may look like out here in Jersey versus out on the West Coast because we don't have as much exposure. We don't know about them as much. We may have different lines for a you team like that. You see that in college? I'll, I don't think you see that as much in the NFL, and and here's why. No, that's what I'm saying. The regionalism yeah, in college and, is a and lot And I think more. the NFL markets, and, and it goes back to my original point, where the books are almost competing against each other more so than the public about the NFL right. lines. The NFL lines at the end of the season are razor sharp. College lines, they're not. And we've exploited the mid-major schools. We think that's where the best edges mm -hmm. are, the MAC and the SWAC and the, you know, the, you know, the yeah. Mountain West. And, and those are the conferences that seem to offer the best edges against the house in terms of what my numbers are compared to what the actual number is. And I do think you will see different pockets of areas. Utah is an interesting one. You see a lot of Utah betters that will affect, and I'm not talking about just Utah, but also BYU, that will affect the California, right. or excuse me, that will affect the Nevada market as well. So Utah and sure. California tend to have much sharper lines about the those schools in Vegas than they do out east. And it, it is interesting. Mm -hmm. And it makes it sense, and it, it's, right? It's, it makes sense because they have to get the right number because there's more yeah. informed public there investing. Yeah, about in that 30 market. seconds left, so I'll wrap it up with this. Overall, big picture, I think as more states pop up, which we're already seeing, Colorado and other areas, I think that curve, no pun intended, will get flattened, and there'll be more, you know, it'll be more even on both sides. But I do think right now yeah. that it's still pretty, pretty disjointed. You've got the East Coast books and the West Coast books, mm -hmm. and that's kind of it right now. You've got Iowa and Illinois and Indiana kind of in there, but for the most yeah. part, East and West – Shop around. There's going to be line discrepancies. The lines may be uh, portrayed differently based on what will generate the money. That's what we do here, Jared, on Sports. We're giving people the edge, teaching them how to fish. Hour one is in the book. Come on back. We keep it going. In-game live, hour two, coming up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, 
You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.